The text for today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just excited to share this treasure of Christ with you today. So let's bow our heads before our King and ask that he would help us delight in him the rest of this day together. What a treasure we have in Jesus. God, we, we just humble ourselves right now to say we are not worthy to be given such a gift. And we are utterly dependent upon you to keep reminding us of how precious this gift is. How beautiful it is. Open our eyes, God, to see the amazing wonder of your manifold wisdom poured out on us in Christ by your spirit. Show us this beauty in your word today. And may we leave this place in awe of your kindness, of your glorious grace. Amen. The Koh-i-Noor diamond is a legendary story full of intrigue, suspense, and mystery. The Koh-i-Noor diamond was discovered in the 13th century in a mine in India. And for for hundreds of years, it was the largest known diamond in the world. When one ruler finally got his hand on this diamond, over a hundred carats, huge, he called it the Mountain of Light. It was so brilliant. It is said that a blessing and a curse come along with the one who holds this diamond, saying that whoever controlled the Kohinoor diamond would have power over the land. Yet, they would also experience all of its misfortunes. Indeed, the beautiful gem did change hands multiple times as ruler snuck up and and took over ruler in order to have that powerful, beautiful diamond. One dynasty exchanged for another throughout thousands of miles of India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. 
But the diamond wouldn't always cause trouble. Because part of the blessing and the curse also said that only God or a woman could hold the diamond without impunity. It would corrupt men, certainly. But God alone had the holiness to hold it without corrupting him. And a woman had the character enough to just put its beauty on display, not letting it corrupt her soul. After many centuries of battles in the land over this mountain of light, the British Empire finally expanded into the area, expanding their empire to take over this region, including obtaining possession of the Kohinoor diamond. The British Empire, however, wasn't immune to its curse either, as about the same time they took control, they started to lose control over many of its colonies. It wasn't until those holding the diamond gifted it to Queen Victoria that the calamity began to cease. Queen Victoria ruled in relative peace and the, the empire regained stability. And now even to this day, you could go to the British Crown Jewel Collection and see the Kohinoor diamond right on the crown of Queen Elizabeth. That big one right in the front, awaiting the arrival of the next queen to be coronated. Now, does this Kohinoor diamond really possess all of that power? Probably not. We don't believe in such, such uh, curses. But there is another diamond that does have that kind of power and even more. It's far more precious and has faced far greater battles for its possession. This diamond is the diamond of the gospel. At first glance, when you look at it, it might not seem that spectacular. But the more you gaze upon the diamond of the gospel, the more it captivates your soul. This diamond has sparked cosmic wars since it was first revealed. Like the Kohinoor diamond, it is best held in God's own hands. But he has gifted it to a beautiful lady that he has made worthy to delight in it. He has enabled her to guard it and ensure that it would bring life to all who gaze upon it as she holds it before their eyes. This is the theme Today, as we look through the book of Ephesians, God, Paul tells us, has put on display this glorious gospel diamond for us to marvel at. And he has gifted that diamond to us, to the church, to put it on display to the bride of Christ, to crown her head with glory. And now we bear the great responsibility to display and protect the precious diamond of the gospel. So today, we're just going to spend some time delighting in its beauty and equip one another for this great responsibility. In this first chapter, in the verses that Jess read for us, we're just going to look at this diamond, turn it around and look at it from multiple perspectives and see how beautifully complex it is. And then we're going to Reflect a bit in chapters 2 and 3 on the church as the one who received the gift and is now the keeper of the diamond. The church gets to delight in its beauty and in awe and wonder that we have this precious gift. And then we hold it up and say, this is for everyone 
who would come to share it with us. And finally, in chapters 4 to 6, we must be prepared for the battle for the diamond. Satan is constantly scheming to steal this treasure from us so that nobody else will be able to gaze upon its beauty and be drawn into its power ever again. But we have the assurance that he will not succeed. God guarantees the diamond is safe as the crown of the bride of Christ. So let's look at this amazing story of intriguing beauty starting in chapter 1, just marveling at the beauty of the diamond of the gospel. Now, if you remember our last two sermons in Corinthians and Galatians, Paul was just very succinct in his explanation of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, he just says, the gospel is this, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. And that simple truth of death and resurrection is the solution to every problem that we might face as a church as we unify our focus together towards our future resurrection in Christ. And then last week, Jake reminded us, showed us the the Galatian struggle. They constantly wondered if they were doing enough of the right kinds of things to stay in a right relationship with God. Paul says, you don't need to be so anxious. The gospel simplifies all of this. Jesus died and rose from the dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The simple truth of death and resurrection, Jesus died and rose from the dead. So if you trust him, you will die to your old self and he will raise you to a new Christ-like life of righteousness. But now as we turn and look at Ephesians, we see something a little different. It's not a different gospel. It's the same simple gospel. But Paul just invites us to slow down. and Take a breath and and gaze upon the beauty of this gospel. Throughout Ephesians, Paul is going to use all kinds of superlative language. Big phrases of exuberance to describe Christ's riches. Sometimes he even makes up words that, that scholars can't find anywhere else. He just, he couldn't think of anything else. So he put all kinds of words together to say, look at how great Christ is. He is in awe, enamored by the wonder of this gospel. And so he holds it up in chapter one before our eyes, this big, massive, perfectly clear, expertly cut diamond turning it around so Christ's light shines through it in every direction, scattering light into thousands of colors, millions of colors in every corner of the earth so that we will be dazzled by its beauty. Let's look at this diamond in chapter 1. Through these various perspectives, First, when you look at verses 3 through 14, if you just read them all quickly as one unit, which is in Greek, one sentence, one long run-on sentence, you may have noticed sort of a Trinitarian comprehensiveness about this gospel Paul presents. There's three different sections highlighting, emphasizing the gospel work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verse 3, The Father chose us before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, no, 
Yeah, verse 7. The Son redeems us by His blood. He came into history, took on flesh, poured out His blood for us. Verse 13. The Spirit comes and seals us, enables us to hear the gospel and respond to it in belief. Each of these sections ends with the phrase, to the praise of his glory, urging us, look at this diamond and be amazed by the eternal work of the triune God. Let your jaw drop in wonder at what God has done in his wisdom. Don't harden your heart when you hear the gospel. Lead your heart to praise his glory. Let's slow down and go deeper into this diamond. Verse 3 tells us that this gospel blesses us with every blessing that belongs to Christ. All the joys and pleasures of heaven that Christ earned, that Christ deserved, are now yours because of what Christ has done. Paul takes that diamond again and turns it a little. Verse 4, saying that the gospel makes you holy and blameless. God looks at you and he sees the perfection of his own son. He is pleased. He used to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he looks at you and he says, I'm pleased with you too. He's, that's because in verse 5, this gospel actually makes us into his sons. We are adopted into his family. We were spiritually lost, wandering around without a, a father to guide us into maturity, to provide truth for us to grow in, to protect us from harm. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, now we are brought near to the Father. And we have a family, an eternal, joyful, very big family. And then Paul quickly turns the diamond again in verse 7. He says that we are forgiven. The word forgiveness means released. All these things that held you are now gone. You are released from punishment for your sin. You are released from slavery to sin. Now you're able to do not sin, to live righteously. You are released from the guilt and the shame that you bear for sin. But what are we released to? Paul says in verse 9, he takes us right to the heart of the diamond that this gospel makes known the mystery of his will. We get to know the, some of the inner workings of God himself. Incredible. It brings us near to God. John Piper says that God is the gospel, a whole book on it, meaning that the gospel is designed to release you from sin and bring you into a relationship with God himself, right into God's own heart. Not just forgiveness to do what you want, but forgiveness to draw you near. It shows us what matters most to God. The gospel shows us how God has been planning all things and what his purposes are, what the purpose of your life is. The gospel even makes us a part of God's work in the world. Which he says in verse 10 culminates in all things, everything in your life, all of history brought together, united in Christ. So you take this gospel diamond and you look through it at world history. 
And you see that God is in complete control of every single detail, bringing all of history, all nations, every creature, and every one of your stories into unity in Christ's story. Jesus is the king. Verse 11 tells us he is enthroned over all things, guaranteeing a place that we have a place in his eternal kingdom. When he makes all things new, he's got a plot of land and a big house set aside for you. Then it will be free of sorrow, free of suffering, without death, without poverty, injustice, oppression, loss. King Jesus on his throne guaranteeing it. And then we turn to the verses about the work of the Spirit. Paul turns the diamond around. We see in verse 13 that the Spirit enables you to hear and believe the gospel and seals you, secures your salvation, making you able to cling to that diamond. He works in in your body to tighten your grip on Christ. All of these promises, these eternal promises are guaranteed, not just because God said so, not just because he planned it a long time ago, but because now he's working in you to strengthen you. Verse 14 guarantees you will endure by the spirit in faith until you receive the reward that Christ bought for you. This is an incredible, beautiful diamond. All of it. Given to you, not just for your benefit. Yes, you're supposed to delight in it. But also, primarily for you to continue in your life to turn this diamond around and marvel at it. Marvel at the multifaceted beauty that God created through the death and resurrection of Christ. God does it, but you get the benefit of it. So that you will take it and and delight in him and respond in wonder. Maybe even make up your own words to describe how wise, powerful, kind, faithful, merciful God is. To the praise of his glory. This is Paul's brief two minute one sentence summary of the beauty of the diamond of the gospel. But then... After that incredible introduction, he moves on to the keepers of the gospel, describing in the following chapters who gets to hold this incredible treasure. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says that when Christ has all things under his feet, that is, he's enthroned on the throne of above heaven and earth, he takes this diamond and places it on the head of the church. Jesus died and rose from the dead, receiving all blessings in heaven, and then shares it all with the church. The assembly of God's people becomes the keeper of the diamond who gathers together to cherish it, to display it, and to protect it. First, we need to realize, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, That we didn't receive this precious jewel because of anything we did or how beautiful we are. So when Queen Victoria received the Kohinoor diamond, it was a gift to compliment her beauty. Like to say, well, this diamond is as beautiful as you are. Or to be a symbol of the power of her empire. 
We have no such power. We have no such, no beauty like that. So in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says that we're given this treasure in spite of ourselves. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Living out the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. By nature, children of God's wrath. We don't deserve such riches lavished upon us. Actually, as children of wrath, we deserve to be conquered and plundered, left empty because of our sin. Verse 4 says, but God, but God being rich, rich in mercy. What did he do in verse 5? He made us alive together in Christ so that in verse 7, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul can't help but just use all of these powerful, beautiful words. God saved you and then entrusted you with this gospel diamond so other people will look at you and marvel at how kind God has been to you. This is a gift of God, verse 8 says. It's not of your own doing. This whole salvation package, even the ability, as we saw earlier, by the Spirit to believe it, to see it and delight in it, is a gift from God. When he, in your spiritually dead state, when he shows you the gospel diamond, or if you're in here and you're not a believer in Jesus, you hear all of this truth and you go, okay, that's neat. I'm not sure what you're all so excited about. But then God gets a hold of your heart and he puts that gospel before your eyes and you melt and you delight in it. You treasure it and you want to share it with others. This is what Paul explains in chapter two, that you are now a keeper of the diamond put in a relationship knit together with other believers in a local church to become a home for the diamond. He uses language saying that people are like spiritual living stones and all of us are stacked together into a building using temple language. But with this theme, think of it more as we are a living museum. That we are stacked together to highlight every part of our architecture to point to the beautiful diamond so that the world may come in and see the beauty of Christ. We love one another. We gather together. We deny ourselves. We serve each other. We humble ourselves. We, we confess our sins to one another, encourage each other, proclaim God's grace to one another. And in all of this loving work, we show the world, we don't deserve this, but look how amazing God's grace is. So we put aside our divisions. We take all of our differences and submit them to this greater purpose of showing off the gospel diamond. Amazingly, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8, that God gave this gospel diamond to us in order to, more big words, share, proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. The diamond is so valuable, unsearchable, unfathomable. It's so valuable. There is enough riches in it for everyone all over the world. And the local church, us, And every church around the world is a mobile treasury meant to go and take this treasure and share it with everyone if they will receive it. 
And so he says in verse chapter 3, verse 10, here is your purpose. This is your vision statement. The church exists so that the manifold wisdom of God, that Greek word means multifaceted, like a diamond, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All of heaven and earth is watching what happens right here when saints gather together to show off the diamond. If you want your friends and family to love Jesus, if you want God's glory to spread throughout the world, God's plan for it to happen is for you to gather together to put on display the beauty of God's gospel work among us. And so how are we to do that? We we need to... Band together to keep this gospel safe, to display it and hold it tight, to protect it from corruption. And that's where Paul is turning his emphasis in chapters 4 to 6, explaining this battle for the diamond. There's an interesting grammatical switch here from chapters 1 to 3 to chapters 4 to 6. The first half of the book is really emphasizing what Christ has done, what God has done in Christ by his spirit through the church. God did this amazing thing for eternity past. The father planned to save people and he sent his son into history to execute that plan and die on a cross and rise from the dead to pay for their sins and then sent his spirit into the world to open their eyes and delight in that gift. And all of that is being done through his gathered people. What an incredible gift. But now in chapter 4, he switches from saying what is to what you should do. He uses imperative verbs, commands. If you believe this gospel, if you have received this treasure, now here is how you ought to live. Verse 1 tells us, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You've been given this gospel diamond. Do what is necessary to put it on display in your life and protect it from corruption. Imagine a woman who has just received a marriage proposal and and her man puts the big giant 10 carat diamond ring, 10 carats, that would be like that big, on her hand and says, will you marry me? And she goes, huh, that's kind of neat. Suppose I'll marry you. And then just walks away. Whoa, whoa. And goes about her business. Like, big deal. That is preposterous. You know what what a woman does when she gets her proposal in that giant diamond ring? Jumps up, yes, and embraces the man, the love of her life. And then quickly pushes him away to go tell everybody, look at what I got right here. A symbol of the affection that her man has for her. This is what we are called to. The calling to which you've been called. If you are captivated by the love of Christ, cherish this diamond that he has given you, then you will go and show off its glory. How do we do that? Paul gives us a few tips throughout these last few chapters. He says that we will unify with one another. We will purify our own lives by the gospel. We will model the gospel in our relationships. We will fight against every attempt to steal, cover, hide, or prevent us from showing it off. First in chapter 4, he says, unify with the church. 
These opening verses focus on unity by using the word one over and over and over. If we're going to be a living temple, a living museum, we need, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We're not here to show off my musical talents, my preaching skills, my piano skills, my, my serving skills, my cooking skills, any of that. We're here to show off Jesus. You may have many different skills, perspectives, gifts, experiences, but everyone comes together to help hold up the diamond. Each person highlights a different facet of the diamond. We need all of you to come forward in some way and say, look at the unique way God has come into my life and shown off his grace. So we can all marvel at his kindness toward you. And then in the transition from chapter four to five, Paul says, don't walk any longer in your old way of life. Put away all the old ways you used to live. These things will distract from the gospel. Purify your life, actually, by looking at the diamond. The more you gaze at the work that God has done through the death and resurrection of Christ, the more it transforms you into something that reflects his light. Beholding the gospel diamond transforms you into a precious diamond yourself. You take on the character of Jesus. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, you become imitators of God as beloved children. You walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So you look at Christ and you become like Christ and so you serve others like Christ. You become to others what Jesus is to you. In chapter 5, verse 18, he continues that you will be filled by his spirit, transforming how you relate to other people. First, he makes you into a person who sings. We love to sing. You love to sing alone. Maybe you're in the shower and you're singing gospel praises. And then you love to come here and sing as loud as you can because you want others not to hear your voice. You want others to hear how great Christ is. When the Spirit's in you, he makes you thankful. Even if terrible things happen to you, you can say, thank you, God. Because even though this is terrible, I know on the other side of it, I have an eternal inheritance waiting for me. Mostly, this gospel creates humility in you. You know you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But Christ gave it to you anyway. And that Spirit causes you to become a servant of others. So throughout the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, he explains how your relationships model that same kind of humility. Husbands and wives loving each other in a way that shows how Christ has poured out his abundant affection on his people. Children and parents showing off this gospel diamond which secures an identity in God's family, promises a eternal home in God's place. Servants and masters. Employees and supervisors. We work in such a way that the gospel diamond is our treasure. Knowing he has provided everything we need. We're not going to work to care for our family. We're not going to work to show off our own worth. We go to work to show off Christ's worth. Trusting he will provide for us. We work for the Lord content in all he has already accomplished for us. In all of these ordinary relationships, these ordinary ways, we set our affections on Christ. 
And in that, God transforms the world. It is such a powerful diamond. It's so ordinarily simple. It seems almost boring at first glance. But this is what God is doing to transform the entire world. And Satan hates it. So Paul's final exhortation is a warning that this gospel diamond is under constant threat. We must be vigilant to protect it. He's always scheming ways to keep us from delighting in it. To keep us from gathering together to display it. And we must fight back. We must put on the armor of God with these weapons of truth and righteousness, faith and salvation. His word employed through prayer in order to keep this precious diamond before our eyes and that we may lead others, draw others in to delight in it as well. Satan's crafty. He's not just going to lead a full frontal attack right on the church and, and shut us down. He'll appeal to our doubts and our fears and our weaknesses, our desires to be respected, all these other things that would take our eyes off of this. But he doesn't realize that this gospel diamond has power. That the one who holds it has all the powerful power available to us in the universe to withstand Satan's attacks. Don't be fooled by Satan's schemes to keep you from this task. Displaying and protecting the diamond of the gospel is the most essential work we are called to in this life. Friends, Be enamored by the beauty of Christ in his gospel diamond. He is a mountain of light. His gospel will continue to dazzle your eyes even in the darkest days. Cherish this gospel. Display it in your relationships. Defend it in partnership with the church. With your life. If you're here today and you don't see its beauty. And I pray Paul's words in chapter 5 verse 14 along with God's Spirit, would open your eyes to its majesty. He says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine His light on you. Receive that gift of forgiveness today. Let it transform your life as you draw near to God and join with us in making this diamond shine in the church. May God open all of our eyes to see the depth of its beauty and put us to work, to display and protect the precious diamond of the gospel. Let's pray. God, what a gift you've given us. And I'm thankful for the gift of these brothers and sisters that want to lift high the name of Jesus so that we can all delight in him together. And I pray as we lift high the death and resurrection of Christ and his holiness and his reign over all things, that we would be drawn into him and satisfied by him and sent out into this world ready to fight for him by loving each other, by working diligently, by training up our children and loving our spouses, that Jesus would get all the glory in our simple obedience. Amen.